Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the coronavirus immigration suspension. China expert Gordon Chang joins me to discuss coronavirus, the WHO and China, and the virus, spending and the shutdown protests. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Likely you heard that President Trump is talking about, in fact, intends to suspend all immigration to the United States over the next 60 days as one response or defense of America to the coronavirus. I want to hit the tiny little point that, yes, indeed, he does have that authority. It is it is unequivocal. He has that authority uh, from the Immigration and Nationality Act, INA, Section 212, or exact thing is 8 U.S.C. 1182, Aliens and Nationality Act. He has the authority to issue this. It's very clear he can issue it for as long a period as he believes is necessary to protect the people. And the Supreme Court, as recently as 2018, upheld this authority, stating the act exudes deference to the president in every clause. It entrusts to the president the decisions whether and when to suspend entry, whose entry to suspend, and for how long and on what conditions. But leaving aside the legality of the president's order, I just want to make a point about the idea that the president is turning to suspension of immigration to deal with this question, to deal with the challenge of the coronavirus facing America. The world, naturally, is full of viruses. Viruses mutate. They change. Humans have to adapt to new viruses and deal with them all the time. The Jerusalem Post had a story today talking about a researcher. Now, the researcher, to be clear, is from China, but a researcher from Zhejiang University pointing out that the coronavirus has mutated into at least 30 different strains. This is a result of a new study, 30 different strains. And one other little tidbit is I did this research. It's a little bit unpleasant, but just to get make, you know, to make the point that we are we need to be very serious in figuring out how the coronavirus got to America, the novel virus we're all facing, who was responsible, who has to be held accountable. That all matters. But the idea of shutting down civil liberties in our American in America in response to a virus also matters. I'll be talking about that later. But one little point in just looking into viruses in this world, uh, and I, I mentioned in a previous show, a close friend of mine got a master's degree uh, in, is like called environmental toxicology, some horrible sounding thing. But I remember her telling me, going through classes where they were talking about the number of viruses that exist in the world, viruses, bacteria, germs. And she made the point, you're so overwhelmed, you think, how, do hum how does humankind you know, live for a day once you know about these things? Of course, most of you don't know about them, but the uh, little data point to share with you, the National Institute of Health reported in 2012 that there are 219 virus species, just species, so the more viruses individually uh, within these species, known to be able to infect humans, and three to four new species are discovered every year. Other point, American Society for Microbiology reports that there are a minimum of 320,000 mammalian meaning capable of invading mammals, mammalian viruses awaiting discovery within just nine viral families. And I only place that before you to say, if we're going to suspend long-term civil liberties in this country in response to a virus, because we think it's the most novel thing ever, we need to recognize there will always be another one. They're just part of life on this planet Earth. Last defense of President Trump or point about President Trump's decision to suspend travel uh, for some people for some period of time to America uh, because of concern about the virus. The reason that downstate New York has the largest by a landslide number of cases and deaths in this country among the contributing factors were flights back and forth to Wuhan into New York. 
I am not faulting New York. I know they're having a hard time. I'm from New York. I, I feel for these people. I want everyone to get better. I want the hospitals to have all the supplies they need and the personal protective gear they need and the ventilators, whatever it is they need. I want them to have it. I want America to provide that. I'm not saying New York is, bad, is a bad place or the people are bad people, but the conduct on the ground in New York over having Wuhan flights back and forth to Wuhan, in addition to subways open for too long, passing easily creating the ability to spread the virus. There are all sorts of reasons the virus is concentrated in New York City. And one of those reasons, the, the Wuhan flights, is another contributing factor to my conclusion is a great thing that President Trump decided we're going to have an immigration suspension while we deal with this virus. And that, my friends, is today's First Five. I mentioned before we started, we have a guest joining on the show today. We have Gordon Chang. He's available by, I'm so glad, available by Skype. This is a great thing in the world of shutdown is that if people have a camera at home, uh, we can rock and roll. So uh, I believe we have him already with us. Hello, Gordon Chang. Hello, Debbie, and thank you so much. Glad to have you. I'll briefly remind our listeners, Gordon Chang has joined us before. Uh, he is a national expert on China, Has uh, speaks uh, in all sorts of uh, media contexts about China and the policy that America has in dealing with China, uh, nationally recognized expert. Um, he's the author of The Coming Collapse of China, a columnist at Forbes, but mainly he's an expert about China and actually much about of the that part of the world, how America deals with them. So I want to start off since we were um, on that subject a moment ago in the first five. Do you have any reaction to the idea of President Trump deciding that we're going to hold off having people come to is the immigration suspension strike you as inappropriate or as a good idea? I think it's an important idea and it's a good idea. And by the way, I'm talking to you from the outer edge of the New York metropolitan area where yeah. New Jersey also is stricken. Um, this virus came to the U.S. through travelers. Um, they came from China. They also came from Europe. And uh, closing down the borders is a necessary thing. Of course, it's undesirable in the general sense, but um, we've seen what happened. We had 45,100 Americans as of today um, who have succumbed to the virus. We probably have many more. Um, and we've got to take uh, drastic measures to protect ourselves. So um, I support this idea that uh, we need to shut our borders until we can make sure that we can get through this. Okay, next thing I want to turn to, and actually you've been talking about this a lot, and so I'm not going to give a, a long introduction to it, but the president also announced that he was suspending America's support of the World Health Organization, WHO, World Health Organization, because of what was perceived to be their complicity in hiding information about the coronavirus in order to protect China, hiding information that for some period of time, which eventually caused the outbreak of coronavirus to be far more severe in America and around the world. You've been talking about that a lot, so I just love to have you talk about what is the World Health Organization's role or complicity in hiding or failing to act responsibly with respect to this virus? Well, Debbie, uh, there is a pandemic instead of just an epidemic in China. There's a global pandemic because of two organizations, Communist Party of China and the World Health Organization. Um, and they work together on this. So for instance, Chinese officials for the first time said this was a human to human transmissible bug. They said that for the first time on January 20. But doctors in Wuhan, the epicenter, knew about H to H, human to human transmissions as early as at least the second week of December, maybe even earlier than that. So Beijing knew about this a few days after that second week in, in uh, December. Um, if China had said nothing about H to H um, through that five and a half, six week period, that would have been highly irresponsible. But what China did was it tried to propagate the narrative that this was not human to human transmissible. And the World Health Organization helped them do that. That's that January 14th tweet from the Director General Tedros of the WHO saying that based on information from China, there is no clear proof of human to human transmissions. But it gets worse because Chinese officials um, pressured countries not to impose travel restrictions and quarantines on arrivals from China and the WHO helped them. Um, that's the January 10th statement from WHO. Now, 
I don't know what was in the mind of Chinese leader Xi Jinping, but if having looked around and seen what the coronavirus did to his country, and if he wanted to level the playing field by spreading coronavirus elsewhere, he would have done exactly what in fact he did, which means that his actions uh, at best are reckless, but more likely just malicious. And the WHO helped him. And also, Debbie, um, the WHO helped in one other aspect, and that is on numerous occasions, um, the organization um, blessed the accuracy of Chinese numbers. Yeah. We know from Dr. Deborah Burks, the White House Coronavirus Task Force Coordinator, that she looked at the low numbers from China as reported, and she thought that this was no more serious than SARS, which is the 2002-2003 epidemic. It was only when she saw what the bug did to Italy and Spain did she realize that China's numbers were grossly undercounted. And that means she said she did not take precautions because of the numbers she was getting from China. And, and Dr. Anthony Fauci of the National Institutes of Health, he's made comments similar to that. So we know that the WHO has been a malign factor. And if there were no WHO involved, this disease would not have been such a big event as it is today. So the World Health Organization has member organizations. Part of their commitment to be involved in it is you will relay information relating to these exactly these kinds of crises as early as possible because it's part of the, the uh, intention of the organization to protect the health of everyone in the world. If every member country complies, then the world is a healthier place. Fewer viruses are spread. So this is a, uh, I mean, not that it matters as much as a policy violation, but what, what World Health Organization did was help China do exactly what the World Organization, Health Organization is trying to prevent ever happening, hiding information. Isn't that right? Yes, absolutely. Two other points. One of them is that Taiwan actually notified the WHO on December 31 saying that it felt that uh, COVID-19 was transmissible human to human. Also, about a couple of weeks ago, a senior WHO doctor, Maria von Kirchhoff, gave a press briefing and she said she knew from the start that this was human to human. Um, and that's because she's a MERS specialist, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, another coronavirus. But she said that her concerns about the human to human transmissibility were ignored by senior WHO officials. You know, clearly doctors and professionals at the WHO do a great job, but their job and the effect of what they do is just nullified by the senior political leadership of WHO, which means it was right for President Trump to defund the organization pending an investigation, because we can see that WHO was not only not doing what it should do, it was doing what it shouldn't do, and because of that, this is a greater health emergency for the world than it needed to be. With respect to how the virus came uh, came about in China, for a long time, people have been talking about China's explanation of the wet market, that they eat things we wouldn't eat in America, they sell things in markets, and that somehow is a transmission from bats or whatever to, to human. But now there's increasing suspicion that this virus escaped from a one of the bioweapons labs in, in Wuhan. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean it was created as a weapon. I'm going to do kind of two parts. What is your understanding of the latest information about whether or not this virus actually came from a lab versus the wet markets? Yeah. The preponderance of the evidence right now says that this came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, that it was a naturally occurring coronavirus. This was not engineered. Um, there is an article from The Lancet, which is the authoritative British medical journal, posted January 24th, which said that many of the initial coronavirus cases had no contact with the wet market, which means that the wet market could not have been the source of this. I think that maybe the wet market accelerated a virus that already had gotten out into the public. That's very possible, but it really looks like it came from that lab. That lab on its website um, once bragged that it stored more than 1,500 varieties of coronavirus. We know that the State Department in 2018 sent investigative teams to that lab. They came away alarmed at the failure to adhere to established protocols. 
And they actually said that there was a possibility of a coronavirus-type pandemic, which is essentially what occurred. Also, um, last piece of evidence, which is really quite stunning, and that is China Daily, which is an official media publication in China, actually posted pictures of the refriger of a refrigerator where coronavirus was being stored. They did this because they wanted to show the world what great procedures they had. But um, people who have looked at those pictures noticed that the seals on the refrigerator were broken. Um, clearly a, uh, a breakdown in, in, in safety procedures. So clearly there's something really wrong um, going on at that lab. Now, whether it's a bioweapons lab or not, uh, we don't know, but in all probability, Debbie, it is. And that's another long conversation, but it does look like they are doing very suspicious type activity there. So if this virus came from the lab, whether it was uh, accidentally, well, let's just start with whether it was natural and accidentally released and that what is wrong, what China did is just simply not alerting the world quickly enough. I mean, that, that by itself is, is very alarming. But if it were something being created as a bioweapon, and then there are all these possibilities and leaked uh, in, unintentionally, I mean, it spilled out or created intentionally or being built intentionally and then intentionally released, all of these things make a big difference in terms of how America should treat China going forward. So what should America do about this? Once we get through this virus, what should America do to deal with China? Well, we have to, um, first of all, deter China because the spread of this was, um, as I mentioned, reckless or malicious, most likely malicious, but in either case, um, it's a fault of Chinese leaders. Um, so we've got to deter them because this is not the last bug that is gonna be generated from China. Um, and so we've got to make sure that Chinese leaders understand that they cannot spread this the next one. Um, so that's a minimum. How you deter them, um, I think probably it's going to be imposing great costs. So, for instance, um, we've got to allow American citizens to sue China in federal court, uh, which means that we have got to probably eliminate um, some protections for foreign governments in the Foreign Sovereign Immunities Act. Um, and so that's there's, and there's two bills to, the, to that effect. There's the, the Cotton Crenshaw bill and the Blackburn Gooden bill. Um, which would do that. So that's an important thing to do. The uh, state of Missouri is, is suing not only the Chinese state government, a uh, Chinese uh, central government, but also the Communist Party. And by the way, the Communist Party doesn't have sovereign immunity. So that suit can proceed. Um, and then there's the question of what the federal government does. And I think that eventually what we need to do is really sort of take um, China and um, seize the treasuries that it holds. It holds more than a a trillion dollars of U.S. debt obligations. I don't think we should do this alone because what China would do would criticize the United States um, as saying we repudiated debt, which is not true. Um, but they would severely criticize us. So we should be doing this in conjunction with our allies and friends, the issuers of other major currencies, such as Canada, Britain, European Union, Switzerland, Japan. If everybody does it at the same time, then what that means is that China can't just pick out a single country and say it's their fault. This is going to be then China against the world. I love that idea. I did not know about those two bills. I'm going to dive in and find that out. But both bills you described are intended, I'm, I'm making sure, I'm double checking, are intended to essentially uh, change whatever federal law would have prohibited citizens of America from suing China. It removes that barrier. That's that right. Countries have sovereign immunity in federal court, um, but we need to eliminate that in this case. You know, it's another whole aspect is I think is astonishing. People um, in America, we have loved the idea, and you and I have talked about this before, we loved the idea, we were opening up to China, and we were really being, as a country, we were developing trade, that people had the notion that if we had more manufacturing in China, we would help bring about a freeing of the Chinese people from the communist repression, we'd help the whole country blossom, there was a kind of a, you know, smiley, uh, milk toast assessment that we could somehow make things better in China. But with the kind of things you're talking about doing really harshly coming down on China, I think to help that be palatable to people, 
we have to have better understanding. I, I wish everyone knew about China, what you know, Gordon Chang, because I think you have to have, you have to get the American people prepared for the idea. This is to understand how badly the Chinese Communist Party treats its people, how repressive they are. I, I think you've got to warm the people up, the idea these people, this country needs to be punished really ultimately because it will help their people get out of the repression of their government. But do you, do you have a thought about that, about how America sees China, whether this all be palatable to them? Well, things are changing very fast, Debbie, and what was considered to be impossible just two weeks ago is now being widely discussed. Uh, it could very well become inevitable in a couple more weeks. And it's not just us. We're seeing uh, substantial um, changes in opinion in uh, Europe as well, um, largely because China has overstepped there. But, you know, what's the, the overriding reality is that uh, we're going to lose tens of thousands of Americans, if not more. And we can't forget this, that this was something that um, was maliciously um, unleashed on us. And so this was not just some sort of mistake. Um, this was deliberate, and we cannot allow that to continue uh, unpunished. I, I know that it's it's unpleasant. It's it's almost unthinkable. But what China did was not just a crime against humanity. It was a crime against all of humanity. This is the first time in history, Debbie, that one country has attacked all the other countries in the world simultaneously. And we've got to be concerned the mentality of Chinese leaders right now. Um, we are in a struggle with China. This is an existential struggle. We have a common enemy. That common enemy means to harm us, and that's already done so. And there is just a real, we need to come to a realization that um, there's only going to be one survivor. It's either going to be the People's Republic of China or the United States of America, not both. It better be us. It better be us is darn right. I love that. And I love that really putting it in the stark terms it needs to be put in. Other stuff very quickly we could do as Americans. I'd love to hear, I'm sure you're full of ideas, but we've talked in the past, you and I have about the idea that we have unfortunately in America become, become dependent on China for the manufacture of medications. And so we are therefore at their mercy were we to need more medications that we don't currently manufacture here. But we can, as one step, begin to say, we're going to bring back manufacturing, especially the essential things like pharmaceuticals. Oh, wait, wait, one more thing I, I read about, I want to ask you about. Is it right that China actually, as this was unfolding, purchased or cornered the market on uh, personal protective equipment, PPE, so that when everyone in the world, including America, needed it to respond to the virus, they had control and were able to jack up the prices? Is that right? Yeah, that, that is accurate. Um, that's uh -huh. exactly what Beijing did in January and February. Um, <laughs> there's just so many awful things that China has done. It, it is really difficult for us to wrap our mind around. And I mean, I start out really before this, you know, concerned about China. I have actually been stunned by what the Chinese leadership has done. It's taken me by surprise. Um, so this is just something where we have got to change our assumptions about China because the way we view the world is one way, but the Chinese view it in an entirely different way. They most certainly do. Um, so, Gordon, to wrap up today, first of all, I want to thank you so much for coming. I know that you're in demand a lot. I'm so glad you're available. I wanted to mention for our listeners, we're speaking with Gordon Chang. To follow you on Twitter, I had it right in front of me, to follow you on Twitter. Gordon G. Chang, G-O-R-D-O-N-G-C-H-A-N-G. Yeah, I definitely urge people to do that. This is this gentleman we're speaking with, a fount of knowledge on China, on American policy toward China, and being alert to really what behind the scenes in China the Communist Party is doing to its people, to the world, uh, because actually, if we don't understand it, we are very much, we're very vulnerable to the next attack, the next undermining uh, by China. So, Gordon Chang, thank you so very much for joining me today. Oh, well, thank you, Debbie. I very much appreciate the opportunity. We'll talk to you again soon, I hope. Thank you so much, sir. Folks, I really do. We were just talking about with, China, with Gordon Chang a moment ago on the whole uh, where we are in dealing with China. This is a time when Americans need to be not just alert themselves, tell their friends, spread it to their neighbors, help people understand, help people understand that China, as you just heard Gordon Chang describing, did not 
mistakenly somehow release this and uh, immediately speak up and tell everyone, explain the threat. They did nothing like that. Nothing. They, whether we will discover that it was accidentally released, intentionally released, whether it was naturally developed in this lab or was a bioweapon, all the things we will figure out. We still have to understand the Chinese Communist Party was reprehensibly, maliciously responsible for unleashing this virus on the world and the deaths we are watching around the world. We all of us need to be alert to and recognize China did an extraordinarily malicious, uh, that's not even a strong enough word, a, you can't think of a horrific uh, policy choice, a decision they made inside China that we're going to keep this hidden and maybe they even release it on purpose. But it's important to understand that as we move forward in, in this country, dealing with when we get through this virus, which we will get through, we need to understand that China has to get the message from us. And as you heard Gordon Chang saying, from the world has to get clear that there is not going to be a repeat of this, that China is going to be held accountable. And again, I'm not speaking about individual Chinese people or even Chinese citizens. Most of the citizens of China are just as innocent as the rest of the world in being victims of this virus release, being victims of the horrific COVID-19 that developed because of this virus. And they need to be, they need our sympathy and our help. But the Chinese Communist Party, of which millions of citizens of China are members, they are responsible. They need to be held accountable in every possible way. So I'm so, so glad Gordon Chang was available today. One last little thing I want to mention about China before I turn to my uh, one last topic today is China now has an app they've developed. And it is, it's on people's phones and you have to have it and it tells your coronavirus immunity status. So that, and it was, I believe I talked about this maybe a week ago or so on the show, but I wanna mention it again because there's an idea coming to America of a similar thing that we must nip in the bud in America. But back to China, they have your coronavirus immunity status data constantly updated. And so when you wanna go into a building in China and you're a Chinese citizen, you have to show them your status or they have the ability to check your status and see, oh, sorry, your status based on where you've been recently, who you've been in contact with, your status is red. They have red, yellow, and green, whatever the three colors were. And the, the red was, you know, you, you're not supposed to be out, you can't come here. And so they have following around every Chinese citizen, they have this immunity thing, immunity data collector in people's phones. People are describing they want to go to restaurants. They have to hold up their phone to a checker at the door. You know, one of those one of the electronic checkers, they can say, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, you're okay. You, you got a green thing, you can come in. Whether they're trying to do that to protect against the further spread of the coronavirus or every other, every other reason there is, China is emboldened in this endless mission to monitor, control the life and the movements of every single citizen every day of their lives. This is an, another, this is a little bit similar to the Chinese, uh, they already had their system in place where they are monitoring people's social, beha their, their behaviors, and you have a social uh, monitoring score, score where you're told essentially because, you know, you, you, you voted or you didn't vote or you didn't take your trash out or whatever you did that wasn't right. You have a social credit score in China that can impede your ability to do anything, get on an airplane, uh, be at certain places, and they've compounded this now with this coronavirus ID thing, getting at the notion that China is a repressive country. The Chinese Communist Party is repressive. They have used this coronavirus not only to harm the world, but to add a layer of repression on their own people on top of the social credit score thing they already had. So China has added this and we in America are beginning to hear, well, I'm gonna talk about it more tomorrow probably in the show, but we in America are going to begin to understand that there are people in our country that want to do that same kind of thing in the ballpark, same kind of thing that China wants to do, which is we're going to, they think we're going to have a system in America to keep track of your immunity status based on the coronavirus and this immunity status ID, immunity ID, immunity certificate, whatever you're going to call it, is going to be the thing that determines whether you are allowed to leave your house, to be in public places, to go to venues of various kinds, 
This is the mindset of people who are think like the Chinese leaders that it's really okay for the government to have a role of monitoring people. We need to be alert as we move ahead, getting past the coronavirus, understanding there are plenty of people in this country in positions of leadership who think this is the next way we can help protect the American people from the virus is to have some kind of monitoring system controlling everyone. And folks, we cannot let that happen here. Has no place in America. Last thing I want to talk about today, uh, the virus spending and shutting down, and shutting down protests. I, I got to tell you, it's, it's the most interesting time to live in America. Before I get into the details of this, it's just the most interesting um, issue to deal with this, this coronavirus and, and how we handle it. Um, I'll start with uh, just the idea of the spending that we are engaging in. We've talked um, in uh, recent shows, we talked about the $2.2 trillion bill that the uh, Congress passed, the House, Senate passed, President Trump signed to help rescue people from the damage imposed on the economy, not by an external enemy, the damage imposed on the American economy by the government shutting down the economy. So the government shuts down the economy and then they put out a spending bill which all the government ever has to spend is your money, is taxpayers' money. So they shut down the taxpayers' economy, then they passed a bill. So there's no one has income, no one's working, no one can, can go to their work except essential, which is a questionable thing by itself. And then they pass these bills to spend your money, to give you back your own money, and then in, in massive debt that they, adding to our massive debt, we don't have the money that they're spending, it's funny money anyway. But there was another bill that came out uh, just yesterday, I think. The Senate passed a bill, 484, 484 billion, B as in boy, billion dollars, 3.5 coronavirus stimulus package by voice vote. They don't normally pass bills of this size and significance by voice vote in the Senate, but there's so much tension in Washington, so much unhappiness, so much, and they, they could not have the normal, everyone come in, we're gonna sit down and have a, 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 you know, a Senate hearing like we do about the, these kinds of issues normally. Couldn't even do that. So they passed this massive, nearly 500 uh, billion coronavirus bill. And I, I would, you know, on the subject of all the rescue bills, I do think we have to be trying to help individuals get a bridge over this period, especially small business owners, especially individuals who literally depend on their weekly paycheck to live, that they don't actually have savings enough to stay home for three months. They don't have savings enough to continue to pay their mortgage or their rent or their food bill or their all the other bills they have. They don't have that kind of money saved. These are these are the relative. These are the working Americans, the good, solid working Americans, not upper class rich people. But we have already, as we talked about, padded these spending bills out of Washington, padded them with all sorts of spending not really needed spending that is just increasing our debt in, into you know astronom astronomical you know, uh, terms that we can't even relate to it. We can't understand what these numbers are. People don't even know what those numbers mean. But there's now an idea of having a $2,000 monthly stimulus check sent out to um, everybody. And so everybody would get a $2,000 monthly stimulus check. Um, and that's another proposal being discussed to help us get through this crisis. People, the government needs to feel pressure from the people to say, instead of spending more money, open up our economy. And instead, because the reason this money is needed is because the economy is shut down by the government's choice, by the choice of policies that the government put in place. And, and you can do this. You can both get America back to work and protect the vulnerable people. You can do both. This has to be the message from the voters to their legislators, to their members of Congress and the Senate and their local legislators and their governors and their county commissioners courts and their county government and their and their city government and their mayors. We Americans can be trusted to do both. We can get this country back to work 
and we can protect people who are either ill or vulnerable. We can do both because part of what happens, I'm gonna tell you just a little tease of the story about the what all the shutdown spending is doing, not just to the economy and all the businesses that are belly up, bankrupt, going out of business, not just to the individuals who are now receiving unemployment because they don't have a job to go to, but it's already starting to do damage to the American psyche, to the to the mindset that is basically the idea we're rooted as a people in the idea of self-reliance and work and making our own way. In the state of Kentucky, in Eastern Kentucky, there is a couple who decided last year sometime that they were going to open a coffee shop. They described the reason they opened the coffee shop not just because it was a business idea, but that they wanted to offer their friends, their community in Eastern Kentucky that didn't have a coffee shop in this community, wanted to offer a place for people to come in and get, as they said, good coffee. This is a not a you know name brand. This is not, not a big national brand. This is a coffee shop, one-off uh, little shop, Eastern Kentucky, good coffee, access to the internet, had Wi-Fi, and a place to sit and talk and connect and help build community. Very sweet sounding couple describing what they really wanted to do was give their neighbors and friends a place to come and be part of a, a feeling like a growing of community. So they had, they just got it going, coronavirus came along, they tried to stay open for a while with uh, washing hands and all that. Then they went to the to-go, you know, let's go ahead and just have things to go. You can't go in, but you can pick up coffee. And they even talked about they had nurses and doctors working in facilities where they're dealing with coronavirus patients. Nurses and doctors coming in was a place for them to come in, to get to talk to each other, to pick up a, you know, a carton of coffee for everybody. That's what this kind of place was. They finally were forced to close because uh, they couldn't, they didn't have any business and they couldn't afford. Uh, but what really was the killer and what I want to point to as a, as a practical example of what I'm talking about in terms of the coronavirus hurting our economy, the owner of the coffee shop said she had individual employees. When she first opened this place, by the way, there were so few businesses like this. She had a thousand applications for just a few people, just a few openings of people to come and work in this coffee shop. And it was a pretty fun coffee shop to work at. But after the coronavirus came along and then the government handouts came along and then the, you know, jobless benefit promise, if you're out of a job because of coronavirus, you know, sign here and you can get money from the government. She actually had employees coming to her saying, please lay me off. Please lay me off because I can get more money from the government then you're paying me. And that, my friends, is a little microcosm of the massive problem we are creating in Washington by perpetuating the shutdown, by paying people not to work, by paying people to simply stay home and say, well, they were, you know, they, they, they lost their job because of this uh, virus. She had people asking her to please lay them off. The spending in Washington, every dollar. I do think that as the government's closed, we have to help people get through. But we have to make these bills far more laser focused. Stop if we have to do another bill to help. For example, this this most recent spending did was helping employers hold on to employees, be able to pay them through this crisis. That kind of payment, small business keep people in the payroll so we can keep, you know, keep that aspect of our business going. I'm kind of okay with that because I think you have to keep the businesses going, but we ultimately cannot, cannot let this become what is already becoming the norm and the mindset of leftists in this country. It is like the next trick they found to develop more dependency, more weakness, more dependency on government among the American people. Make no mistake, the left in this country is driven to perpetuate the shutdown of this country for as long as they can. I do not, I'm not meaning by what I'm saying that the coronavirus is a hoax. It's not. It's serious. It's horrible. COVID-19 is horrible. The suffering is terrible. We need to be doing, we can, everything we can be doing to help the suffering 
to get supplies to the hospitals and doctors, to manufacture what is needed, all of that is needed. But we have to be laser focused on the idea in this country that getting us back to work and getting the economy moving is the only way to save America. When I say the left is using this crisis to destroy this country, I am not in the slightest exaggerating. The Democrat media mob in this country, the leftists who orchestrate policy in this country, the media who work night and day to be the Pravda media putting the message out of the Democrat left in this country, they see this economic meltdown as an opportunity to destroy the victories of the Trump presidency, to destroy, because President Trump did not just happen to come along and surprise, surprise, create a fabulous economy. The economy that we were all enjoying in this country, it was, it came into play, into being under President Trump. But more importantly, it came into being because President Trump embraced free market ideas, embraced capitalism, freedom, entrepreneurship, renewal of the American spirit, renewal of the can-do attitude in this country. The left was watching President Trump sailing toward re-election in November 2020, sailing toward it on a downhill slope. He had the economy going, he had the military being strengthened, he had our borders getting secured, he had the American economy booming, he had every single hyphenated group in America doing better, having lowest unemployment numbers of all time. He had a fabulous thing going and the impeachment didn't destroy President Trump as the left had hoped. And the entire Russia Trump collusion hoax did not destroy President Trump as the left had hoped. All the other slings and arrows they sent toward him, they, 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 you know, all the attacks on him about whether the emoluments clause or tax, his tax records, all of the ways they tried to attack him, nothing stuck. So here they are. We're in April 2020. We have elections in November, elections around the corner. And what the Democrat media mob in this country is desperately hoping for is to delay the suffering in our economy because of the coronavirus long enough to blame Trump in the fall to say this is all President Trump's fault because the economy is in tatters. He handled the coronavirus poorly. He shut down the economy. Everything's his fault. You have to believe me when I tell you the left is bringing zero good faith to this conversation in America. Zero good faith to in their messaging to the American people about what they think should be done to handle this virus. They're not trying to solve the virus problem. They're not trying to solve the economy problem. They're not trying to bring the economy back because to them, this is their last, it is their last hurrah, their last ticket to shutting down a second term for President Trump. Other quick points I want to hit right in this very last segment on spending and the shutdown protests. You're seeing more and more protests in this country uh, about the shutdown um, all over the country. You see them in, in blue states. You see them in Minnesota. I have a, a conservative friend in Minnesota who just sent me a long list of all the things they're doing. You're seeing shutdown protests around this country and people saying, people starting to wake up. Even people who eight weeks ago or more, 10 weeks ago, whenever they started to really, really get worried about the coronavirus, people on our side of the aisle saying, whoa, this is serious, this is bad, everybody's gotta shut down. My friends I rely on in Washington who are you know, pretty connected at high levels were the ones saying, no, this virus is serious, it's bad, everyone's gotta stay home, we're gonna take a terrible hit. We had people on our side of the aisle, not only in Washington, but all over the country thinking, okay, this virus is gonna just destroy us all unless we jump on board and do everything Fauci is saying and everything Burks is saying. And now as time has rolled on, and here we are in the middle or past the middle of April, and more and more Americans are waking up. More and more Americans are saying, wait a minute, the models were wrong by orders of magnitude. The models were grotesquely wrong. They were, it's not 1.5 to 2.2 million Americans who may sadly pass on from this virus. It's more like 60,000, like a bad flu year. That's more like the number. More Americans are recognizing the left is using this crisis to crush civil liberty. They are watching what the left does in cities and counties all over this country 
to crush civil liberty, to force people to stay at home. And they are using this meltdown in order to embolden themselves, to, to use it as a as a, to something to clobber President Trump over the head, but far more to tell the voters of America, to tell individual Americans, you know what, Trump did this to you, but vote for Democrats, vote for big government, we'll fix it. We'll get you a paycheck. We'll get you another 2000 a month. We'll get you everything you need. In fact, there was a headline, Alan West mentioned in my show yesterday. I want to tell you what the headline was. Just one headline, but it, is, it speaks volumes about how the left sees this. In Politico, a left-wing source, economic meltdown gives Democrats new hope in Texas. Think about that. They recognize bad economy, crushed by the shutdown, is making them hopeful of getting votes. They understand, they understand that this, you know, this whole destruction of our economy and the weakening of the economy and the scary place we are as people in this country, that this is going to give them political potential. Who and why would why would anyone want to vote for a party that is telling you we are rubbing our greedy hands together, enjoying your misery? That is what the Democrats are saying. That's what the left wing mindset is. We're enjoying this misery because this is going to give us victory in the fall in November 2020. People, you have to see this when the left and the media mob complains about the protest. Because I was starting to say earlier, these people I know in Washington and all over our country, conservatives who were very alarmed at first are starting to say, hey, wait a minute. The numbers aren't there. The models were wrong. People are recovering. 98% of people who contract coronavirus recover. We had coronavirus in this country earlier than we thought. We had people who recovered from it by last year. We have had, we have been in this country reacting to the coronavirus in a way as though it was the newest and most explosive and dangerous and unknown thing, unaware that actually that we had been pushed, we had been molded into fear and fright to putting policies in place that are hurting this country and we can turn it around. So when people start protesting, because they're protesting all over the country saying, you know what, we should have all along gone with protecting the vulnerable and leaving the healthy people willing to work, let them work, let America work, let America live. That message is resonating around this country. So the left, not wanting to see too soon a recovery from this mess we are in, is shutting down those protests. And I gotta mention Facebook. Facebook, you know, I gotta tell you folks, I do the show on Facebook. I, you know, I, I enjoy going on Facebook, but Facebook actually actually announced, Mark Zuckerberg said in an interview that they, they Facebook, were going to block, they were gonna ban organizers and block postings of any lockdown protests, calling any protests against lockdowns as their word, misinformation. And I'm sorry, folks, if you want to say that you think maybe Mark Zuckerberg is just trying to protect the suffering and he doesn't have any political skin in this game, this is not political decision, this is just compassion on his part for people who have coronavirus, you know what, I don't think that's true. I, I think he sees entirely what the left is doing. He wants the left to succeed in having the virus destroy our economy. But even if you think he's innocently saying that, in what other context do we shut down protests? Does Facebook shut down protests? Meaning can't post your information, can't share the posting, yet you're gonna get banned from Facebook. And what other issue do they do that? They only do it when the conservative uh, message is being put out there and they don't like very much having that conservative message put out there. One last thing before I turn to why it matters to you today. So there was a great uh, little mention. I just want to give it a, a tease for today. I'll probably come back to it again, another show, but Attorney General Barr has announced that he is going to go after governors who persist with strict lockdown rules. We're going to turn tomorrow's show and talk about a little bit about the uh, reopening of America, what governors are doing, you know, what they're, how they're trying to move forward on this. So there is a real effort uh, on the conservative side to reopen things, a, a real effort. And, and on the part of a small number of governors. There's a lot of talk and you know political chit chat, chit chat. Oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna reopen, but doing nothing.
but there is a movement toward that. And there are many, many, many elected officials in this country from mayors, county government, state government, who've never had this much power in their lives. And they are not, they are using it to the fullest and they are imposing and continuing draconian lockdown and other measures because they can despite the protests, despite their awareness that that healthy people actually want to go back to work, they are thinking they've got this, they're on top of the situation, they can stop these people and they're going to. So I love Attorney General Barr signaling to the governors, you know, at some point, your lockdown orders are actually unconstitutional. That's what he's saying. And if they are, we're gonna come after you. Okay, my friends, uh, we got as we wrap up every show, we always do wrap up by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And so for today's stories, we started about the coronavirus immigration suspension. And on that story, uh, President Trump has full legal authority to suspend immigration, clear logical fit with the, shut- with the shutdown, and with the objective to protect Americans, leftists can rage incoherently, lock down Americans. So they want to lock down Americans, but keep open borders. It does kind of make you wonder where their priorities are when they just want to complain and complain and complain um, about things like these lockdown. Uh, they complain about what Trump is doing, but they're fine with lockdown. So you can bring immigrants um, to, um, you know, you can, you can bring outsiders here, but people who live here have to stay home. Right. Importance of border control now in greater focus. Uh, Jerusalem Post report scientists say already 30 mutated strands of coronavirus in 2012. U.S. authorities noted 219 known species of infectious diseases, 320,000 mammalian viruses awaiting discovery. People, when you see these numbers, we can't cower with every virus. We'll never have freedom again. Americans must get a grip. This pandemic response is a product of panic, a gross overreaction that must be scaled back and on virus spending and shutdown protests and why it matters to you. Another 484 billion phase 3.5 folks. We don't have this money to spend. Kentucky coffee house story. Workers prefer layoff in order to get bigger stimulus checks. This is how crisis spending screws up our country. The American spirit is rising, but the ruling class is defiant. They continue getting paid while Joe Everyman and Sue Every Woman are laid off. Many traditional patriots are still more afraid of the virus than economic collapse, but I'm telling you, I'm seeing that changing. I'm seeing people who eight weeks ago were saying, we have to cower in fear until Dr. Fauci says we're allowed to go out, waking up. People waking up saying, wait a minute, we really, we can't do this forever. Democrats are optimistic. Their chances improve with greater economic devastation. This is a leftist dream shutdown of America. American patriots must rise to save this country. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. Thank you for tuning in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time, to my show, America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you hear us now?